please sit comfortably. Just want to say by way of beginning, that's a very beautiful flower arrangement on the altar there. I couldn't help admiring it when I was bowing to the Buddha. I was wondering about a title for this talk. And something like, that maybe captures it, is the process of awakening. Mm -hmm. But think of, in a sense, the opposite of awakening is like falling to sleep. Just think when you fall to sleep, you can't make yourself go off to sleep, can you? You can't go, okay, I'm going off to sleep now. It doesn't happen like that. You create the conditions in which you go off to sleep. So you lie down and you close your eyes and you turn off the light and you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, if you're lucky, you fall off to sleep. Uh You're creating the conditions for falling off to sleep. But you can't make yourself do it. Mm -hmm. And the opposite's true in the the biological sense of it, but also the, the Dharma sense of it is you can't make yourself wake up either, you just wake up. Mm -hmm. And the conditions are right so that you just wake up. Mm -hmm. The sun comes out, maybe you've rested enough, you know, your brain's brain's rested, you know, and it wakes up. But you can't make it happen, your conscious mind can't make you fall asleep, and your conscious mind can't make you wake up. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, in waking up in the Dharma sense of the word, we create the conditions through which we may wake up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, session is creating the conditions, the ideal conditions, through which we can wake up. Mm -hmm. So the actual act of um, sitting meditation, um, sitting upright, so that you're supporting yourself with your own spine, keeps you awake, keeps you, keeps your body in a grounded, symmetrical position where you can be still. So you're still, upright, symmetrical, quiet, no TV going, no radio, no music, no conversation, just quiet. Focus on the breath. Pay attention to the flow of the present moment. And as an act in itself, Sarzen is creating the conditions for waking up. Mm-hmm. Want to create the conditions for suffering and delusion? Take a lot of drugs, alcohol, be involved in crime, abuse your neighbours, get involved in dramas, uh-huh. fight, squabble, you know, compare yourself to others, better work. Conditions for suffering. Mm-hmm. And not only is there sasen, which we, you know, is, is a very portable practice, isn't it? You can do it anywhere. You can do it at home or anywhere on the holidays. Um, but session is even creating um, more favourable conditions for awakening. So in session, we all come together for a group practice and we all kind of agree that we're going to do it with a certain structure and we're all going to come together and support each other in our practice and turn up on time and, and, and uh, do it as a group and have a structure there. And 
that creates even more favourable conditions. And in a sense, um, doing a session is kind of like voluntarily putting yourself in prison for a week. Mm -hmm. And so you've decided for a week just to um, let everything else go in your life that you normally do and to, in a sense, be, be constrained in a certain structure for a while. You know, and all of your um, little preferences and diet, desires and things you know, just have to be put aside for a while, you know, while you just give yourself over to this process. So it's like, like a, um, a session is like a week of being um, a monk or a nun. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also been likened to being like a, a prisoner. And there's a book I'm reading at the moment, which um, uh, after session would be an interesting book for many of you to read. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a great book, but it's a good book and it really contributes to the, to the literature of meditation and its benefits and non-benefits. One of the few books that critiques meditation. But um, it's about, it starts off about how um, meditation and yoga is being used more and more in uh, prison programs with prisoners and rehabilitation. And it does seem to have um, some beneficial results. And they sometimes they might be sort of exaggerated or whatever, but it seems to calm prisoners and, um, and uh, it can be for some people it can be transformative. As it says in the book, um, to see that every criminal has the potential for being a saint is at the essence of every religion. So if every, every criminal has the potential to transform into being a saint, um, even us ordinary people might be able to awaken as well. Mm -hmm. But being in a prison, involuntarily, is, and they use the same word, like you go into a cell, but a monk or a nun goes into a cell as well. In a sense, in session, we're in a cell. Mm -hmm. And uh, the cell is our structure that we've created, our session schedule. And when you're in a cell, um, they, they are, voluntarily or involuntarily, um, when, when you've cut off all of these escape routes and all you can do is just be present where you are, they're the ideal conditions for awakening. How lucky we all are to be here. <laughs> um, Sometimes I find it useful during session, either in Dyson or sometimes in Dharma talks, to um, talk about my own personal experience of doing session. And sometimes people ask me about it, and they, sometimes people seem to find it helpful. And I suppose why people might be interested is, I suppose if you decode it, it's like well, have you been doing it this so many years and has it made a difference to your life or not? You know, or is session just as difficult for you as it is for me? You know, does it 
does it does this get better? <laughs> Something like that. And um, my experience of doing session, as I described it to someone the other day, is is just a, a, a consistent experience of pleasant neutrality. Mm-hmm. You may want to use a word like equanimity to describe that. But it's, it's pretty much all the time just an experience of pleasant neutrality. And I don't have any big highs like high emotions or low emotions and things like that. I don't, I don't, it's just sort of fairly stable. Mm-hmm. And it's by and large just the experience of seeing things and hearing things and breathing and experiencing pain in the hip or whatever it might be. And then, and then there is a, like everyone, there's kind of little floaty thoughts and constructions come into the mind um, and I can get caught up in them and then return to the present moment. But compared to years ago, they don't seem to have any intense emotions behind them. And if I, if I think back just over a, a lifetime of doing sessions, and when I was younger, like it would be, I don't think a session would go by when I was younger that there'd be fantasies come up that were full of anger, you know, um, that would play themselves out in these kind of fights and struggles, you know, these sort of Star Wars fantasies, you know, um, or romantic fantasies and things like that. Sense of longing was there a lot of the time, and and when I just reflect on what my experience is now. Well, like if I think of this session, like nothing like that comes up. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's thoughts, like, just like you, there's thoughts come into my mind, there's constructions come in. But they're just, they don't pull me away from the present moment with the same intensity that they used to. Mm-hmm. And on an interpersonal level, it's kind of like, well, there's this pleasant sense of neutrality and I'm just sitting here, but then when I engage with you, if I see you in Dyson, well, it's just a kind of a... There's a sense of connectedness. There's just an experience of connectedness there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and often, for me, in my role, you know, trying to... Not be me, but trying to, trying to get into your experience, what your experience is, mm-hmm. and see if I can understand it from my, from my own experience that something similar with there's something I might be able to say to you that's helpful or not. Um, so it's just kind of like a pleasant neutrality and it's just an openness to whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, you know, the human emotion that goes along with that is just a sense of, um, of uh, kindness which is there, um, and a sense of common humanity. That's the kind of, that sum up my experience of session. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I want to emphasize is that um, I rarely see people, uh, it, it does happen, but I rarely see people make some sudden change in their being through Zen practice. Certainly people do have 
Some people do have very um, uh, uh, what's the best word to use? Uh, strong kind of waking up experiences, you know, like openings. Um, like Christians would call a conversion experience where suddenly everything just changes, you know. But even when people do have those openings, um, it's the gradual work of doing sitting practice every day and session year out where the transformation really occurs. You just rely on these sudden flashes. It's not enough. And all the Zen literature will, will tell you the same thing. It's not just me saying it. Um, but people do have, um, people can have very dramatic kind of experiences which can turn their life around. And, and in religious history, you know, going back to prisoners and criminals and so on, um, St. Paul, who had his, you know, um, experience on the road to Damascus, you know, before that was a, used to persecute Christians. He murdered Christians. Mm -hmm. And then he had this epiphany and something turned around. Milarepa, the, the Tibetan Buddhist um, um, monk, murdered 37 people before he had his, you know, turned the corner and started to awaken. Mm -hmm. So things can happen to put us on the path, but it's this just turning up each time, turning up, turning up to the moment, turning up to the sitting, turning up to session on a regular basis, wears away the self-centered ego identity. <clears throat> Uh, when I when I come to session, I don't prepare these talks. I just prepare them in the morning before I come. And in some ways, they're kind of easy. In some ways, they're really difficult because every time I sit down, I go, "What am I going to talk about today?" And I say, "Well, just go back to your experience." And my experience comes back to, "Well, I'm just looking at the trees, you know, and I'm just breathing, and I'm just sitting here, and it's all very simple." Mm -hmm. So if I start talking about something, it's going to become really complicated, you know. Now how do you talk about something that's so simple? Mm -hmm. That's why so many Zen teachers revert to just putting up their finger when anyone asks them a question, you know, or hitting someone or shouting or whatever, you know, just this, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And every time you open your mouth to give a Dharma talk or to talk about the Dharma, it's kind of like you just walked into a room with big boots and put big, big muddy footprints on the carpet, you know, made a mess of things. <laughs> because it's all so simple. Mm -hmm. I can't emphasise how much, so much how, how really simple this practice is. Mm -hmm. And like I'm often saying, um, if, you, if your practice is going towards more and more complexity, you're going off the track. Whatever that complexity is, intellectual knowledge or whatever, um, you're going off the track. If, if your life 
and you practice, then your zazen is moving towards more and more simplicity and going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And it's so simple, we all overlook it. It's so simple, right before our eyes, and we go, oh, I can't be bad. You know, so read another Buddhist book on Buddhist you know, <laughs> philosophy or psychology. Oh, that, that'll give me the answer. Yeah. Another construction in the mind. Do you know how much, do you know, not just Zen Buddhists, but all meditating Buddhas you know, that I come into contact with across all traditions, so many of us are caught up in Buddhist constructions of the mind. And then we think that's Buddhism. It's not. It's like Christians, do you know, who, that like theologians who know all the ins and outs of all the history and the Bible. And it's not Christianity. Christianity is giving something to someone in need. Mm-hmm. And Zen practices that too. But it's just turning up in the present moment, moment after moment. Mm-hmm. Dead simple. Two stories um, about the Buddha, and then two stories about um, two outsiders. Like they're not they're not Buddhist followers. Two outsiders question the Buddha. Or two different philosophers question the Buddha, and he treats them very differently. And the first man. The Buddha from ascertained, you know, from the questions he was asking him, that the, the first guy was just up in his head, you know, just caught up in a whole lot of intellectualization and looking for intellectual answers from the Buddha. And he asked the Buddha basically, you know, what's the essence of your teaching? And the Buddha responded by going, The man didn't get it. Very good teaching. Mm-hmm. Just it. Mm-hmm. He didn't get it. So the Buddha didn't really waste much more time with that. But there was a second man later on who was an um, inquirer outside of the tradition. And he came to the Buddha and the Buddha recognised this man's actually really, he really wants to know. And he's, he really wants to know in his being, not just in his head. He, he's ready. And he said, could you tell me the essence of your teaching? And in a sense, he was kind of saying, could you just cut to the chase and tell me what it's all about? And the Buddha said, yes, it's like he's, I'm paraphrasing it, but he said, when you hear, just hear. When you see, just see. When you walk, just walk. Mm-hmm. When you smile, just smile. That's the essence of my teaching. Mm-hmm. Really simple. Very simple. But the process of waking up uh, and to come into living present moment experience in our life, the, the fundamental teaching of the Buddha, which is very simple really, and it's there for all of us to understand through Um, but our experience 
which we can, we can all experience this ourselves. We don't, we don't have to have it verified by science. That's fine if it wants to supplement it in some way. But if you look into your own direct experience, you can see the Buddha's fundamental teaching of the cause of suffering working within you. And it's simply, and I mean we've all talked about this before, you all know it, I'm just reminding you, grasping and aversion. Grasping, it's the dynamic of grasping and aversion which stops us from being in this present moment as it is and listening to the kookaburra. We might want to understand why the kookaburra makes a sound, mm-hmm. or whether the kookaburra has Buddha nature or not. All those silly questions, but it's just the sound of the kookaburra. Mm-hmm. Grasping an aversion takes us away from what life, the joy, that, the wonder that life is presenting to us each moment. And um, grasping is simply, and we all experience pleasant things, unpleasant things, neutral things. That's fine, that's not the problem. Grasping is grasping after the things that we want. We want more of it, more, 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 more. Instead of just being with what life presents us, we want more, 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 more. Aversion is the things we don't want. We want less, 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 less. Get get it away from me. Mm -hmm. Don't want. And that grasping aversion dynamic is the ego identity. You want to define the ego, that's what it is. It's a, this loop, this dynamic going around inside of us. And that gets sets in motion because we're ignorant, we're out of touch with our basic connectedness. Mm-hmm. The experience of interbeing, if you want to use a fancy word, but connectedness. And as we get caught up, as we lose touch with that, lose touch with the present moment, get caught up in the grasping mind and the aversion mind. We're often building castles in the air. So to bring this down to the very active meditation, moment by moment, if you closely observe your own experience, then whenever you go away from the present moment, look for the grasping or the aversion that's the engine behind it driving it. It's not, just, it's not just the content of the fantasy or the planning mind. What's behind it is this engine going all the time, you know, that wants to get more and more ahead of itself or wants to get away from something. And it's that, it's that dynamic of grasping and aversion beneath everything or within everything that's driving all of the, all of the distress that you might experience when you meditate. And you can't just make it all go away. Just don't, it's like, you just can't say, okay, it's all gone now, go away. And you, we've all tried that, but it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You've got to just patiently watch it. And it's really, the act of doing sasin is really just the act of seeing what's happening. Right? You're in the present moment, and then you see the constructions you make in the mind and the fantasies you create in your mind and you get a sense of the, the grasping nature behind it or the aversion nature behind it. Mm-hmm. And just watch it, just watch it. Mm-hmm. And as you watch it, it's like you, you kind of 
can't help but if, if you if you have a commitment to the practice and you want to be in the present moment, you go, actually, getting caught up in all this construction and all this grasping and aversion, is, it takes a lot of energy. You know, it's really, it's, it's actually, that's where the trying is. You're doing a lot of trying. Mm -hmm. Trying to get somewhere, trying to get away from something. And... That's why, in a sense, Zazen, as you do it more and more, becomes more effortless. If you get exhausted at the end of session, it's because you're still caught up in the grasping and aversion. Once it falls away, well, you just sit here and enjoy it. The only effort that's really needed in doing Zazen or doing session is the effort that's required to keep you, your spine upright and your head upright on your on your shoulders right, and breathe. There's effort, there's some effort involved in doing that. Um, the mental efforts really, as you get used to it, is really um, it's just more restful to be in the present moment. You you find that you're actually trying and trying and exhausting yourself by trying to get away from it. Right? So that's why I'm saying you just drop back into it. See what's going on drop back into it, see what's going on, drop back into it. Um, the experience of doing that, what, what it reminds me of um, owning a boat, is that when, when you're grasping, it's like you've got the boat in forward gear and you're going somewhere, you know, or when, when you're in a version, you've got it in reverse gear and you're trying to get away from something. And when you're just in that present moment neutrality, it's like you're in neutral. The gear's in neutral. And the only thing that's happening is this sort of slow chug, 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 chug of the motor, like your heart beating and your heart beating is just going chug, 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 chug. But it doesn't have to go anywhere. It just has to be there, present. When we're relatively new to practice, those the intensity of that experience is more, much more dramatic. You know, the highs and lows are more dramatic. Um, the emotions are more intense. Um, and as that grasp, then as it goes along, it starts to lose its energy. But it, as you go through practice, you start to see the more subtle forms of grasping and aversion. They don't jump out at you quite as much as they did five years ago, ten years ago. But a practice is to continue to just see the subtle stuff that occurs. That's what I'm, I'm looking for. Whenever I go into some little fantasy, it's like I just have a note of the, the grasping that's behind it. Like, it's kind of like trying to get something that's not here. Mm -hmm. It's not necessary. Then you drop back down. So, the process of awakening. Voluntary prison. Make the most of it. <laughs>